Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. We are in a series called No Other Name. Come on, somebody say No Other Name. Uh, I love this journey that God has us on as a church and uh, we're going to take the next several weeks and unpack this idea and hopefully do our best to paint a picture of who Jesus is. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Johnny kind of initiate this thought and really challenging us to identify in our own hearts who Jesus is. He said, because once you make that decision, it will shape the rest of your life. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus the servant talked about the importance of serving, how Jesus didn't come into this world to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus the teacher. Jesus the teacher. Uh, and just out of curiosity, how many teachers do we have with us in the house today? If you're a teacher, would you stand to your feet? Can we honor, take a moment to honor all of the men and women? Now, stay standing. Ah, oh, it's awesome. We love you. You are some of our most favorite, most influential people on the planet. Okay, stay standing. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. You're trying to be all humble. We, we just love you. I thought it was important for us to take time in service to recognize and honor and value the work that you do uh, because we, we don't want to take it for granted. Uh, and, and I just, how many of you, out of just curiosity, you still remember your first grade teacher? You still know her name. How many of you need to go back and apologize to that first grade teacher for the way that you acted? Oh, hey, we love you. God bless you. Let's clap our hands one more time for all these men and women honoring the teachers. I can remember my third grade teacher. Her name was Miss Tesro. And she would always say, eyes, eyes, give me your eyes. And when you're in the third grade, I'm thinking, oh, I need these eyes. I don't want to give them away. Um, my favorite teacher was my second grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Yunt. And uh, I loved Ms. Yunt because I was the teacher's pet. Now, I know y'all didn't like the teacher's pet back in the day. How many just couldn't stand the teacher's pet? Yeah, y'all just jealous of the favor of God on our lives. But she, anytime there was an errand that needed to, to be run, she would always ask me, Mike, would you, can you go take this note down the hallway and give it to Mrs. So-and-so? Or, hey, Mike, can you dust these erasers outside? Or can you deliver? And so I was always running errands for her. And at the end of the year, she gave me two big old handfuls of candy. And uh, man, I love Mrs. Young. Now, I, I hadn't planned on saying this. I'm going to tell a quick story, of, um, and I apologize up front, okay? What I'm about to tell you is totally inappropriate. <laughs> so you're like, ooh, I love this church. <laughs> but in the second grade, and I was a teacher's pet, a lot of times Ms. Young had to leave the classroom, and she would leave me in charge, okay? Second grader, watch another second graders. How do you know that's a bad idea right there? That's bad. <laughs> She's like, can you just keep, keep an eye on the class for me? And so I would take names if people weren't acting right. I had me a little list. So 
teacher left, and so you know how it is. When the teacher's out of the classroom, the longer she's away, the more restless students become. And so, you know, she'd been gone for a couple minutes, and so now students are getting out of their desk, and they're talking and walking across the room, and now things started kind of building up. And I just got bored, and I don't know where I had seen this, and I shouldn't have done it, and this is totally inappropriate. Kids do not follow this example. But I, I made a little, like, kind of a machine gun out of my, my hand, and I kind of stuck it up my nose, and I started doing a little booger machine gun. Just spraying these little imaginary boogers all across. And those girls in the cigarette, ah, you know, screaming and taking cover under desk. It was awesome. Stood on my chair, man. I did the whole thing. So then I, you know, I stopped doing that. Well, my friend David next to me, he thought that was a pretty cool idea. So he stood up and did the same. Well, about that time, Miss Yunt had walked back into the room and catches David right in mid. So I'm just sitting there next to David. I thought David's name needed to go on that list. David got called outside into the hallway. A few minutes later, Ms. Yunt says, uh, Mike, we need to see you out here too. <laughs> so I walked out there and Ms. Yunt said, Mike, David informed me that the reason why he was doing whatever it was he was doing is because he had seen you do it earlier. Is that true? I looked at David. I looked at Ms. Yunt and I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I didn't think so, she said. Go in, sit back down. (laughs) I need to look David on Facebook up. I just need to tell him I'm sorry. I need to apologize. (laughs) My dad was my fifth grade teacher. He taught fifth grade for over 30 years. We had a rule at my house that said if you got in trouble at school, you got it at the house. How many had parents that raised you like that? Oh, yeah, we literally had a board called the Board of Education. It was three feet long. It had a little red schoolhouse that said Board of Education. And that night, the Board of Education met my seat of learning. Hallelujah. (laughs) Dad and I had a little powwow. Daddy went pow. I went wow. Uh, Let's talk about Jesus the teacher. Jesus the teacher. Matthew chapter 13. The Hebrew word for teacher is the word rabbi. And many of you, that's familiar. The word rabbi is literally a man that was renowned for his biblical knowledge. He had accumulated so much knowledge, had studied and was so well-versed that others would come and learn from him. That, That word is also the same Hebrew word that we get for great, men of great biblical knowledge. But I want to show you how Jesus was and how he expressed this, this, this role as teacher. Matthew chapter 13, uh, starting with verse 1. I want to read a couple verses, and I'm going to skip around in this chapter. Matthew 13, 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house, and he sat beside the lake. Come on, it's good to hang out at the lake. Come on, fellas. Can I have a good day? Amen. Amen. See, it's biblical. Go to the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and he taught as people stood on the shore. Now, now get this picture. Jesus was very unconventional in his approach. He wasn't like the other rabbis and scholars of his day. Most of the time, a a rabbi would go to the synagogue and would teach from the scrolls, would take the the law of Moses and begin to to unpack theology and and different doctrinal uh, uh, thoughts of, 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 of the law of Moses and who God was and man's relationship to God. But here we see Jesus, he, he's, he's hanging out at the lake. Here comes this crowd, so many people. He steps into a boat and he begins to teach the people 
from a boat. I love this about the classroom of Christ, and we'll talk about this in just a moment. Verse 3, he told many stories. Everybody say stories. Many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Now, I'm not going to teach the parables of Christ uh, uh, in this chapter and the following chapter. There are seven consecutive parables that Jesus teaches. And so I don't want to talk necessarily about the parables, but I want to show you the approach of Jesus. Skip on down to verse 10. His disciples came to him and asked, Lord, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you like a good secret? How many like to be on the inside of a story? Jesus said, heaven has some secrets, and you've been permitted to understand the mysteries of what's hidden from others. It's revealed to you. He says, verse 12, to those who listen, now in the Amplified, that word listen means to open up your heart and to receive. Those of you whose hearts are open, he says, if your heart is open to my teaching, more understanding will be given and you will have an abundance of knowledge. How many of you, you want to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the kingdom? Understand the scriptures, understand the the nature of Christ, even begin to have knowledge of the mysteries of heaven and earth. He says, if your heart is open, those of you who receive it, you'll gain an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, and that word means their heart is hardened, they're not open or receptive to the words of Christ. He says, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. I don't have a whole lot of understanding, but I don't want little I have to be taken. Skip on down to verse 34. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. And I think this is quoted out of the book of Psalms. He says, I will speak to you in parables, and I'll explain things hidden since the creation of of the world. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said to him, Lord, please explain. Explain to us the stories, the, all, the weeds in the field, all the stories you've been teaching. Lord, would you explain them to us? Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? I love it. You know, Jesus was so different from the teachers of his day. The Pharisees and the scholars, they would teach in such a way, and I want you to see the contrast between the two. A Pharisee or a scribe would begin, a religious leader, a teacher of the law of Moses, they would take something simple and try to make it complicated. Have you ever talked to somebody and you know they're using big words on purpose, big words that you don't understand, so they can show their superiority of intellect? And you're like, man, just break it down. Come on, the Pharisees would take something simple and make it complicated, but Jesus would take something complex and he would simplify it. This is what I love about Jesus because sometimes, you know, the the different nuances of Scripture, sometimes they're difficult to understand. But Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a, a farmer planting seeds. The kingdom of God is like a fisherman that's casting out a net. The kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. What was Jesus doing? He was painting a picture to help us see it. Aren't you thankful that Jesus wants us to get it? You see, the Pharisees like to show off their knowledge, but Jesus liked to see people get it. 
You know, our heart as a church is that you would come on Sundays and you would grow in Bible knowledge. But, but I think the greatest compliment you can give one of our pastors or teachers as we preach on the weekends, you leave this place saying, I got it. I got it. We're not here to confuse people, but we're here to simplify things so you can grasp it. You know, the Pharisees, they loved to speak to people. But Jesus loved the people that he spoke to. You see the difference? The Pharisees delivered lectures. Jesus delivered himself. The Pharisees, I want you to watch this. The Pharisees were straight-A students. They had the right information, but what they lacked was revelation. Do you know there's a difference? There's a difference between information and revelation. The disciples, they seemed to fail again and again, but they had revelation of the knowledge of God. And, you know, one of the things that we discover and that I've seen in over 20 years of ministry, that there are some things that are taught and there are other things that are caught. When, when you come here on a Sunday, we want to teach. I want to equip you. We want to give you the tools that you need to build a great life. You know, there's greatness locked up inside of you. Uh, the Bible says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Sometimes we lack knowledge, and so we stay addicted, or we stay in bondage, or we struggle in darkness. But God's intent in sending Jesus was to teach us, to equip us, not just to inform us, not just to give good information, but there's got to be some revelation. When you come to church here on a Sunday, I want you to get good information, but I want you to catch the spirit of what's happening in this house. Can I have a better amen? And parents, you see this in training your children. There are some things that you teach and you train, but there are other things. They catch the spirit that's in your house. They pick up on some of the intangibles. And I want to take the remainder of this message and, and kind of walk through some of the things that Jesus used when teaching because he was the great teacher. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus used the classroom. Everybody say classroom. Classroom. This is where we learn together. The classroom is all about relationships. Jesus took 12 men and he put them in a classroom. And he says, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to build some relationships and do life together. Let me tell you, everything in the kingdom is transferred through relationships. Jesus was so consumed with relational equity that he would say, I'm taking the next three years and I'm investing in these 12 men and I'm going to pour my life in them. They're going to learn from me, but they're also going to learn from each other. In doing life together, you learn. You learn from God. You learn from one another. It's kind of the difference between rows and circles. Okay, now, now, now give me just a little bit of latitude to develop this thought because Today, here in this church, in this auditorium, we have rows, lots of rows. In fact, <laughs> I know we got a lot of them because we pray over these rows every week, lay hands on every seat, and we say, Lord, fill every seat. God, fill every heart. But learning is one way here. There's a teacher, and then there's a lot of rows, and information goes one way. As good as that is, it's incomplete. You see, Jesus, when he spoke in parables to the crowds, he spoke to rows. But then he took his disciples and put them in circles and said, okay, now I'm going to give you revelation on all of that information. 
Can I have a better amen? You see, we hear in rows, but we learn in circles. Jesus teaches information in rows, but then he explains it in circles. And this is why I feel it's so important that as a church that we embrace the value of circles. Getting into a small group is crucial. We work very hard to create small group environments that makes a big church feel like home. I know there's the idea that says, oh, that's just a big old massive church over there and ton of people. There's just no way you can get involved, no way you can do life. There's not really family over there. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Rows are here on Sundays, but all throughout the week, we have circles. And if you'll make a decision to get into a circle, then a big church, it's big enough to serve you, but it becomes small enough to know you. Can I have a better amen? Jesus modeled this. His classroom wasn't just rows, but it was circles. You see, there's a tendency. You can come on a Sunday, and if all you're going to do is be content to sit in a row, then you're looking at the back of somebody else's head. But when you get in a circle, now it becomes face to face. There's something about drawing men and women together in relationship. See, Jesus in his teaching understood the value of the classroom. That's where we learn together. Does that make sense? You know, I thought about uh, years ago, I remember, and this is when we were doing services on both Saturday and Sunday. And we had Saturday night service, I think five, six o'clock. And one Saturday afternoon, Rachel's like, hey, listen, why don't we grill? In other words, she's saying, why don't you grill? How many grill masters do we have? How many grill disasters do we have? Yeah, I lean toward the disaster. I got no skill, skills, skills behind the, the grill whatsoever. And so church was in a few hours, and I knew I was running short on time, and I was running short on charcoal. I didn't have a gas grill. I had charcoal. So what I did was I improvised. I took all those little briquettes, and I kind of spread them out, and then I, I baptized them with lighter fluid. We had a little baptismal service. I just soaked it. And then I took a match, and I threw it into that grill Boom! Man, it blew up in my face. I was like, ah! And I ran inside. I'm like, Rachel, 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 t- talk to me. What, what do you see? She's like, where are your eyebrows? Where are your eyelashes? I don't know. She said, where's the hair up in your nose? You see, I didn't create a fire. I caused an explosion. Okay? Now, what should I have done? I should have taken what little charcoal I had and grouped it together. I should have brought it together. Then I could build and sustain a fire. You see, God's not just into explosion. He's not just into the one-time event. He's trying to ignite something within his church that can be sustained throughout all of eternity. In fact, let me say it this way. God won't ignite until we unite. Some of you are losing heat that you need because you're separated and isolated and spread out. Don't just be content to come on a Sunday and sit in a row. God says, I have a circle for you. His classroom is about circles. And I know when I say that, sometimes it's met with resistance. Because if you've ever been hurt, how many of you have been hurt before? Yeah. If you haven't, you will be. Hurting people, what? 
hurt people. Sometimes we say you need to get in a small group and get in relationship, and we think about all the pain that past relationship have, relationships have caused us. But hear my heart on this. I want you to know this. If most of your pain comes through relationships, then most of your healing will come through relationships too. Jesus is the source of healing, but he uses people to bring healing to people. Everybody say classroom. Classroom Classroom is all about relationships. Number two, this is Jesus the teacher. Everybody say homework. Oh, yes. Homework. This is how we develop disciplines. Discipline. Consider the word disciple is the same word that we get for discipline. In other words, we can't truly be disciples of Christ without discipline. You say, Mike, what are you talking about? Are you talking about work? Yes, you got to put in some work. But watch this. You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. You're not doing works to be saved. You do some things because you are saved. There are some personal disciplines, some practices. I want you to hear. The definition of discipline is this. Disciplines are practices that enable you to do what you could never do on willpower alone. You see that? You see how necessary and important spiritual disciplines are? You say, Mike, what do you mean? Things like personal prayer, times of worship, you know, reading your Bible. Uh, in fact, many of you know we have the, the, the daily Bible reading plan. Some of you are following along on the app, you know, but we do have, and I love this. Have you seen this daily devotional called The Word for You Today? This is amazing. Rachel and I have been reading this for years. These are devotional thoughts that are tied to each day. We have this available to you in our cafe. All it takes is a small investment of your time and your resource. And if you'll make a commitment to do some daily disciplines, here's what I'm convinced. You get this word in you. You get some of this personal practice inside of you. It prepares you for what's ahead of you. If you have a dream and a passion in your heart, and I hope that all of you have set some goals for this year. I'll tell you something about that dream, that goal. You'll never never fully accomplish that goal apart from discipline. Discipline puts greatness on the bottom shelf. Some of you think, well, that greatness that you you see in others and men you admire and respect it in others, but it's just never going to be a reality in your life. If you'll embrace some practices, this is what homework allows you to do. Getting God's word in you, understanding the presence of the Lord, the power of his spirit. And I know sometimes this can be a struggle and nobody shouts when you talk about disciplines. But I want to tell you, if you have a dream, it will require some discipline for that dream to become reality. Am I helping anybody this morning? Ah, this is so important. God's word, prayer, worship, personal reflection. You know, the time to prepare is not the night before. Daily disciplines put you in position to walk in success. Everybody say classroom. Classroom is all about relationships. Everybody say homework. Homework is all about disciplines. Now, everybody say tests. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I felt the air leave the room. How many of you would have enjoyed school if you didn't have to take any tests? Let's be honest. We went to school to see our friends, right? 
Oh, yeah, I've had to take tests because I wanted to stay eligible to play ball, but I wasn't really interested in the test. is just something you got to get through. Test is something that just, you know, it interferes with my social life, but it's a necessary part of the journey. Tests are how we go to the next level. Tests are the means by which God will promote us. Look at what James says in James chapter 1. Verse 2, consider it great joy. Now listen, don't get mad at me. Uh, please don't throw any rotten tomatoes or fuss at me. I didn't write this. I'm simply reporting it, okay? Here's what your Bible says. James 1, 2, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. Did you know that tests produce something in you? That when you're going through a test, how many of you right now, you're being tested in some way, shape, or form? Maybe you're being tested uh, in a relationship, tested at your job. You're being tested in your finances. There's a family dynamic that's a, a, a test for you. God orchestrates tests to prepare us for promotion. The way to go to the next level is to take a test. And when you take that test and pass it, then you get promoted. Watch how this works. But endurance, verse 4, endurance, because testing produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Here's what's interesting. Tests will locate us and tell us right where we are. For instance, if I take a math test, how many just love numbers? Oh, yeah. If I take a math test and I score low on that test, it'll show me some things about me. If I'm weak in division principles, that math test will reveal my weakness. Now, God will orchestrate tests for us not to torture us and not to trouble us, but to talk to us. Some of you are going through a test right now, and God's trying to talk to you. It's not for his benefit, but it's for your benefit. It's so you can understand something about you. For instance, if you've ever been offended, how many, somebody has said something and done something, and just it hurt your feelings or it offended you? Okay, here's the test. How long will it take for you to forgive that person? That's a good indication of what's going on inside of you. You know, or, or if God's testing you in the area of humility, you know what I find that he often does? He tests us by putting small assignments and ordinary people in front of us. A small assignment, ordinary person, how diligent will you be with that assignment? And how, how will you treat that ordinary individual that's in front of you? It's a test. How many's ever bought a piece of furniture? Okay, fellas, question. When you go into that furniture store, your wife is looking at it, and she's evaluating it based on how it looks, right? Because she's like, hey, don't you bring that furniture up in my house. Uh -uh. That does not go with the decor. <laughs> and guys, how many of you don't have a clue? You're just like, I thought it, just, it looked comfortable. W what do we do? If you're going to buy a recliner, you don't, fellas, you don't really care how it looks. Well, some of you might, but you care more about how it feels. So what you going to do? You're going to sit in that recliner, right? And you're going to say, oh, yes. 
This just feels right. We're going to prop our feet up in that recliner. We got an envision of, of this flat screen TV and the, and the game that's on and our place of comfort. We're going to sit on it. We're going to apply a little pressure to it. We're going to require it to do what it's supposed to do. We test it. I'm going to tell you what. We're not buying it unless we try it. I'm going to tell you this. God's not buying without a little trying. Sometimes God will put you through a test and he'll apply some pressure and he'll require you to do what's inside of you to do. But here's what I know about testing. And this is what my dad taught me. After 30 years of of being an elementary school teacher, he'd say, son, a good teacher will never test students over something that they haven't already covered. Hear me. This will set somebody free. If you're being tested in an area of your life, Jesus is a good teacher. He's not going to throw something at you that you've never seen before. Somewhere along the line, the answer for everything that you need to know to pass the test, it's in you. You've either heard it, you've seen it, you've read it, you've experienced it. God has planted that thing inside of you. Why? Because he's using tests to promote you. How many ever said, Lord... Why are you always dealing with me? Has anybody ever thought that? Am I the only one that's ever had that conversation with God? Lord, look at Brother Bible Man over there. Won't you deal with him? Or look at Sister Super Christian. Won't you, won't you go over there and check her out? Why you always got to be dealing with me? I feel like God's always dealing with me. He's always dealing with me. I'm going through something. He's, man, I'm walking through a test. God, why are you always dealing with me? You know what I felt the Lord say? He said, Mike, you've asked me for a lot. Do you want it or not? I'm trying to see this test is to it's not to torment. It's to bless. The test is to bless. The test is to promote. Guess what happens if you take a test and you fail? You don't flunk out of God's school. You're simply what? Retested. Here we go again, baby. Here we go. We didn't score well last time. So guess what? Bless God. We're going to do it again. And again, and again, and again. And same time, some of the time we're walking around that same mountain again, and again, and again. And life seems to go in circles again, and again. And God's saying, no, 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 please. I've given you everything you need to pass that test. The answer is inside of you. I've, sometimes we need to be reminded of things that we've heard, but maybe we've forgotten. Sometimes it's easy to lose track of the, the answer in the middle of turmoil and trouble. But Jesus, being a good teacher, he gives us a test. You say, Mike, it feels like a pop quiz. Can I tell you something in life? Got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is in life there will be pop quizzes. You ever remember walking into that classroom and hear that teacher say, okay, class, take out a clean sheet of paper and number it from one to 10. And you're like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, man. Hey, if you hadn't learned how to pray before, you start praying really good right about then. Oh, gosh. Oh, God. Well, wait, wait, wait. If we've done our homework, come on, homework. If we've done some spiritual disciplines, wait a second. We ready for that pop quiz. The bad news is in life there will be pop quizzes. But the good news is every quiz is open book. There's a book that has the answer for what you need. It's in here. The answer is in here. You say, Mike, I don't feel well studied. Get in the book. Just open the book. There's something in there in this book that you're going to need. Something Jesus knew. Again, he's using test to produce something in us. 
God's trying to bring you to another level. Let me ask you this. Do you want it or not? Everybody say classroom. That's relationships. Everybody say homework. That's disciplines. Everybody say tests. That's promotion. But here's how this thing ends. And I love this. Finally, and I'm going to ask the band to come up. Finally, there's this, this thought called graduation. Oh, somebody say, yes, Lord. Oh, I love it. Graduation. Do you remember the day you graduated high school? Oh, remember the joy, the celebration. Some of you, do you remember the day that you graduated from college? Maybe you graduated cum laude. Maybe you graduated summa cum laude. Maybe you graduated magna cum laude. Maybe you just graduated thank you, Lordy. <laughs> Woo! Finally, get that diploma. I'm going to throw this hat up in the air. I know you're not supposed to clap, but I want my family to bring air horns. Come on, somebody. Cowbells. We in Ascension Parish. Ring that bell. We're going to celebrate. I've graduated. You see, you've been in a classroom. God says you need some relationships. God gives you homework. He says you need some disciplines. God will give you tests. He said this test is to bless. It's about promoting you to the next level. But here's what graduation looks like in the kingdom. Okay? Graduation is not, a, it's not for a piece of paper. It's not for a medal. It's not even for a scholarship for the next, whatever that is. But graduation in the kingdom is all about us looking more like him. You see, there's something about a disciple, a, a student, that has to look like the teacher. There's something in us as Christ followers that has to resemble him. I love it when people will, and Trevor, it drives him crazy. He's nine years old, and, and he's got that hair, and he likes to do that, kind of whip his hair back and forth, and, you know. But the, I love it when people look at T-Rev, and they're like, man, you look like your daddy. Now, it drives him crazy, but it makes me proud. Boy, you look like your daddy. And, he, and he's looking at me like, is that, is that what I got to look forward to? Is that what? <laughs> but there ought to be a, a, a family resemblance. Graduation means us looking more like him. You see, the disciples, yeah, did they fail? Of course they did, time and time and time again. And part of reading the Gospels is encouraging. When I see how they struggled, I think, okay, there's hope for me. Man, God, okay, God, if you had grace for them, man, then there's some grace for me. There's an opportunity for me. But see, Jesus told his disciples and some of his followers, after he had died, he was resurrected. And before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise. And sure enough, a few weeks after that, they're in an upper room. They call it the day of Pentecost. Now, it was a day that marked the church forever. And those disciples were doing what Jesus had commanded. And heaven was opened up and the power of the Holy Spirit came down. And now all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John, they, they were weak. They were afraid. They trembled. But now they had power. In fact, Acts 1.8 says they had dunamis. In the Greek, dunamis, it means dynamic. It's the same word that we get for dynamite. They had dynamic power. 
And as they're led by the Spirit, there was a transformation that had taken place. And the disciples in Acts chapter 4, they're confronted by some city officials. And, and these city officials are upset that these disciples are doing everything that they're doing. And here's what Peter and John say. They declare this. There is salvation in no one else. Come on, somebody say no one else. They said there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name. Come on, somebody. What are we talking about this month? No other name. That's where we got the title for this series, right out of Acts 4.12. They declare, there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. You see, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, exclusively, if you want to come to the Father, it's going to be through me. And so they stood up to these city officials and said, man, there's no other name. There's no other name that does for us what the name of Jesus does. Because there's healing in that name. There's forgiveness in that name. There's power in that name. There's a new beginning in that name. That name is above every name. And one day at that name, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. At that name, even demons tremble. And they stand there in boldness and courage. And they say, there is no other name. And do you know what the response of the city leaders was? Look at that next verse. Look at verse 13. And when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated. They were untrained. Come on, does that sound familiar? When they were, one translation says they were ignorant and unlearned. Isn't it amazing how God can take ignorant, untrained, foolish people like us? Then they saw that they were uneducated and untrained men. The Bible says they were amazed and they recognized something. These men have been with Jesus. Hey, what does graduation look like? It looks like Peter and John resemble the teacher. These disciples resemble their master. And I pray for us as a church, when people look upon this house, that the fingerprints of Jesus Christ are all that they see. Can I have an amen? Come on, do you receive that today? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org. Or give us a call at 225-753-2273.